following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. try that again. Good morning, church. Thank you, Heva. Heva's the only one awake this morning. All right, let's Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 9 down to verse 13 together. Romans 12, verse 9 down to verse 13. If you're a visitor here this morning, it's great to have you with you, us. Uh, we're having visitors, and we often, or ever, we read from the Word of God as we start, and I think that's an to start our service. So let's read Romans 12, verse 9. Be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints given We'll be looking at verses 9 to 13 today, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. I want you to grab this concept right from the beginning. Your actions are a result of your beliefs. Your actions are a result of your beliefs. In other words, you will act the way you act because of what you believe. I'll give an illustration of this. Maybe it will help you to understand. Becky and I lived in the hinterlands of the Gulf province from 2003 until 2014. And during those, that time, I hiked all over those mountains, Kenabea, Kaintiba, Kamina, Kamako, if you understand where those places are, hiked all over those mountains for those number of years and came into many villages that were still all stopped some time before walk into the village, and for many of those people, perhaps the first time they'd ever seen a white guy. And so I'd walk into the village, and if it was a new village that I'd never been to before, I always got the same response every single time. If it was a new village I'd never been to before, when I walked into the village, the little kids, say about eight years old and down, would freak out and run. Scream like little kids little babies, and run and hide. Now, their action was betraying their belief. And if you don't know what their belief was, their belief was rooted in the fact that their parents had told them, very sinful parents, had told them, if you're bad, the white man will eat you. And so now all of a sudden, the boogeyman just showed up in their village. And those little kids were like, no, I'm out. Their actions were betraying their beliefs. 
All of us do that, by the way. Every single one of us, our actions are a result of our beliefs. So I'll give one. We have a societal problem. The action is result of a wrong belief. If you don't believe that every human being is created in the image of God, then you'll have no problem going after someone when someone in your family gets sick. You'll go after someone perhaps thinking that maybe they've done Sanguma against your family member. You will demean them, not seeing them as they are the image bearer of God, and instead might even go as far as burning them as a witch. You see, your actions are rooted in your beliefs. Perhaps you grew up with a dad that was, can I say, evil? And because of that, perhaps you have a belief rooted down deep that says, dads are just bad. If that's the case, you're going to have a very hard time trusting our Heavenly Father. Your beliefs are messed up. Or perhaps you believe that your way is the best way, so when someone else tries to give their way, you get very angry about it. You see, your actions are rooted in your belief. For believers, you and I Christians, our belief is rooted in the gospel. You know the verse John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so if your belief is in the gospel, it will change the way you live. That's the whole point of Romans chapter 12. And so here, if I look at this, for God so loved the world, and that includes you. Can you just let that sink in? For God so loved the world, and that includes you. He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son the most precious thing there ever was in the universe. And He gave His only begotten Son. So that should change you You begin to let that sink in. You won't be striving to find love and affection and acceptance in other places. So why is it that I keep running to the wrong crowd? Because you've got an identity problem. You don't understand that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son for you. And then, he that believeth on Jesus not going to be condemned to spend eternity in hell forever, but instead will receive eternal life. If you believe that, it will change your life. It will change who you are. You see, your actions are a result of your beliefs. Perhaps you're a believer. You put your trust in Christ, but then you struggle ongoing and you say, I've got this struggle with a besetting sin. Can I remind you of some of the words of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2? What? Shall I say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should I just keep sinning? God's going to give His grace, so maybe I should just keep doing it. The answer to that is found in verse 2. God forbid, absolutely not. The strongest way in all of Scripture to be able to say no is God forbid. Don't even let it happen. Don't even let it cross your mind. God forbid, shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's the statement. You If you're in Christ, you're dead to sin. And if you believe that, it'll flow out in the way your actions happen. So if you believe, I'm dead to sin because I'm in Christ, 
Then verse 11 continues that thought. Well, then take that belief and put it into action in your life. Likewise, verse 11 says, Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So do you believe it? Then that belief will overflow into action. You see, your actions are a result of your beliefs. You and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, believers in Christ, we should be different The world should be able to look at us and say, those people are different, and it's not because we've changed our ways of doing things. It's because we believe, and that trust in Jesus in the Gospel has transformed our life, and now there's a change on the outside that's a result of what we're believing on the inside. It's not, oh, I turned over a new leaf and I became a good person. That lasts for a short while. But change that is rooted in a belief, in a change of belief, do I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins? Do I believe that I'm in Christ? That's going to bring lasting change in your life. We say this quite frequently, Scripture is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. So in other words, the things we believe comes from Scripture. And the way we act comes from Scripture. And so as we come into Romans chapter 12, we get this whole chapter, in fact, 12, 13, 14, 15, we get this whole section on how we should act. But it's not God just jumps to Genesis 1 and starts saying, act this way. Instead, we had Romans chapter 1 through 11, this is what you should be be believing. Now chapter 12, this is how you should be acting. And if you don't know whether you believe it or not, have a look at how you're acting. So if there's not been a change in your action, that means there's not been a change in your beliefs. So your actions are rooted in your beliefs. As we see chapter 12, I see chapter 12, if I were to outline it into uh, categories, I see it as concentric circles. What I mean by concentric circles is, is, is there's a circle and then another circle goes outside of it and another circle goes outside of it. That, that's how I see Romans 12. So verses 1 and 2, we already spent time in that, that passage. Verses 1 and 2 is, is my relationship with the Lord. What's he saying in verses 1 and 2? You might remember, I'm going to give my body as a sacrifice to the Lord. And I'm going to be renewed by the transform, I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that's between me and the Lord. Then we saw last week the next circle. That's verses 3 to 8. And that's my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. My relationship with the church. So verses 1 and 2, my relationship with the Lord. Verses 3 to 8, my relationship with the church. Then verses 9 to 13, that's today, is my relationship with everybody. That's everybody out there. And then verses 14 to 21, we'll get that one after we come back after camp. Verses 14 to 21 is my relationship with my enemies. Now that's worth noting because if you're changed by the gospel, you're not going to act like the old, old ways does. In your old ways, you have enemies, we fight. In your new ways, you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. The gospel has changed your life. And so instead of me wanting to fight my enemies, I want to see my enemies come to know Jesus. That'll change the fight. We'll talk about that one in a couple of weeks. I'm going to focus today in verses 13 to uh, verses 9 down to verse 13. I'm going to say it again. Every believer should be different. 
Let me give a different way to say it. Every believer should be self-disciplined. You should be different. You should be self-disciplined. You should be able to say, this is what I believe, and this is how I act. You should be self-disciplined. I remember when I was about 14 years old, my mom made a statement. I've never forgotten it. The statement was this. Any old dead fish can, can float downstream. Have you ever heard that? Any old dead fish can float downstream, but it takes one who cares about what's going on to swim back upstream. I don't want to be a dead fish. I want to be self-disciplined. I want my life to show I've been transformed. God's made a difference in my life, so my actions when they're coming out are going to be a result of my beliefs, and they're going to be a display for people to see. John MacArthur, I read after him this week about self-discipline, and I think that he made a really good statement, good definition. If you want to write it down, here it is. John MacArthur writes about self-discipline. Here's what he says. Self-discipline is the ability to regulate your conduct by principle and sound judgment rather than by impulse, desire, high pressure, or social custom. Self-discipline the ability to regulate your conduct by principle and sound judgment instead of your actions being a result of impulse, desire, high pressure, or social custom. You realize that our society is a wreck because we have majority of people not self-disciplined, but instead living by high pressure, impulse, desire, and what they call social norms. If you want an example of this, Within current society, the thinking is, bump my car, I'll come burn your house. That's not living by sound judgment. It's not living by principle. It's living by impulse. Or here's another example. I wonder perhaps last night, maybe you saw this. A group of, in your house line, a group of 19, uh, 17 to 30-year-olds who walk around within the village and do whatever they want to do play their music at whatever volume they want to play it, wreak havoc and do whatever they want to do because they know that nobody's going to be able to speak into it. And you know that if you speak into it, you're just going to be inviting trouble to yourself. They're not self-disciplined. You and I as believers should be self-disciplined. I'd like to take a few moments before we get into this portion of verses 9 to 13. By the way, verses 9 to 13 is going to give us five negatives I'm going to give you a couple of positives before we jump into that. Just some self-discipline stuff. Maybe you heard this from your mom when you were growing up. Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe it's a good reminder for you to pass along to your children. I'll give you nine of them, and I won't belabor any of them. Some self-discipline tips. Maybe we'll call them tips. Number one, always take care of the little things. Always take care of the little things. Make your bed brush your teeth, comb your hair, take a bath every day. Take care of the little things. If you don't take care of the little things, the little things will get in the way when the big things come up. I'll give an example of this. Our drivers hear this from me on a regular basis. One of the biggest things that I talk to our drivers about is their spare tire. Always. Every single one of our drivers, whenever a spare tire issue comes up, I treat it as an emergency. 
One of the buses has a flat tire. They swap it out. The very first thing that we do as soon as the buses arrive, I want somebody to go and get that tire fixed right now. We don't wait on a spare tire. You know why? Because if you leave a spare tire flat, later on, it's going to become a big deal when you get another flat. Then you're going to be stranded on the side of the road and you just inconvenienced yourself and all your passengers and whoever it is that has to come and save you. You see, take care of the little things. Always take care of the little things. Another one, be on time. Be on time. These are self-disciplined things. Can I say this? Let's please stop blaming PNG for your tardiness. You miss a talk, PNG time, yeah. I'm independence, yeah. No can down him name blow PNG. You are the one that's being lazy and late. So don't blame it on our nation. Our nation is made up of some good people. We have a good nation. Let's not rubbish our nation with PNG time. Here's how you get to be on time. You ready? Here's the secret. Be early. That's the secret to being on time. If you're on time, I guarantee you're going to be late. If you know it takes you 30 minutes to get from point A to point B, guess what's going to happen along the way? Traffic, flat tire, kind, kind something, excuse, last minute as you walk out the door, something's going to happen and you won't get to leave right on time. So leave early. Guess what happens when you show up early? Nobody says you were late. Amazing. Be on time. That's self-disciplined. How about number three? Be honest. Be honest. So a lot of times we see being on time and being honest usually go together. And I've actually seen this happen. I'm having a cup of coffee with somebody and they take a phone call and they tell the person on the other end of the phone call, they say something like, yeah, I'm on my way. And I'm sitting across the table from them thinking, you lied to him right in front of me. And I'm the pastor. How now you get on the pastor Listen, if you'll lie in front of me, I know you'll lie in front of your children, and you're raising a whole generation of liars. Have some self-discipline. Be honest. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about our meeting. I'm on my way. I'm leaving right now from this thing. I'm coming. But don't lie about it. Be honest. Another one. Do the hardest job first. This is just some self-discipline tips. Take these home and use them. Do the hardest job first. Don't leave it for tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough of its own problems. There's a Bible verse for that. I didn't put it on the screen. There's enough problems for tomorrow. So do the hardest thing first. I heard an author, wrote, I read a book by an author wrote this, uh, the book called Eat That Frog. Eat That Frog. And here's what his statement was. If every morning I woke up and I knew that I had to eat a frog today, I might as well, at the very beginning of the day, eat that frog. You know Why? Because I don't want to have to dread it all day long and then get to the end of the day and now I have to eat the frog at the end of the day and worry about it all day long. So at the beginning of the day, just eat that frog. Be done with it. It's a whole book on eat that frog. This is a self-discipline idea. So you've got these things in front of you and go, I don't want to do that. I'm going to put it off and put it off and put it off. And guess what? That maybe was a little thing, became a big thing, and now it's a giant thing and you just don't want to touch it because you know that there's all kinds of snakes in that box. Just go ahead and take care of it right now. Clear it out of the way. Be self-disciplined. Number five, organize your life. Organize your life. Plan. Don't just react. Plan. Grab a piece of paper. Ready? Novel concept. Grab a piece of paper and a pen and write yourself a to-do list. 
It will help your day. But if all you do is live by the seat of your pants and you're running around, I'm going to do this one and I'm going to do that one and this one got pulled me over here and now I've got to go do that one. Guys, you are going to get all over the place and if you don't plan your life, your life will plan you and it will be upside down. Get in the habit of writing a to-do list. You know what my wife loves is lists. She loves lists. She'll make a list about making lists. And at the end, you know what she likes to do? She likes to mark things off of her list. It's like I accomplished this thing and the great accomplishment in my own satisfaction is marking it off the list. I don't care if you make a list about making a list. Plan your day. Plan your life. Be organized. Another one, be thankful. Number six, be thankful for correction. Be thankful for correction. Number six. And Luke Absalom, congratulations. You've survived the very first earthquake here. <laughs> Let's give Luke a big hand. We all got to sit here nicely. <laughs> and of course, all the guys that got to help him out. Number six. Be thankful for correction. Be thankful for it. Do you realize that if someone did not provide correction into your life, that means that they don't care about you? I'll give you an example. Back in 2010, I had just got my PNG pilot's license. Now, I had had my U.S. commercial pilot's license for 14 years at that point. In 2010, I got my PNG license, my pilot's license. And if you've ever watched that movie Top Gun, you'll know one thing about pilots. Every one of us is Top Gun. You want to talk about airplanes? I'll talk about airplanes. I did a flight that year into Ayura. Ayura has a dirt runway. I was the first one to land there that morning. On the dirt runway, when you're the first one to land, guess what? You get to leave the marks of where your wheels are. Everybody else who comes behind, they all mix in. But if you're the first one, everybody's going to see you are the first one. I came in that day, flew in that morning. There was a good bit of wind. It was quite stiff. And just as I was coming in to land, the wind blew me. And I kind of went off the middle of the runway, off the center, and kind of drifted over to the side and then touched down. But then I just, you know, touched down and then rolled back out. And then everything was safe. I never had any problem. I was up at the fuel bowser and I'm refueling the aircraft. And another pilot landed after me. Lyle is his name. Known Lyle for several years. Lyle landed. He taxied up and he parked next to me. He got out of his airplane and he came over to me and he put his arm around me. And he said, Matt, I think you just flew in. Is that right? I said, I did. He said, "Um, I noticed that when you landed, you didn't land on the center line. You were off to the side. And I just want to remind you, you should always land on the center line. I'm a top gun, guys. Come, Lyle. You me to book up? Now, by me showing you. You're going to get up. I'm going to really teach you a lesson right now. That's where my mind went first place. Second place, my mind went, it's a dirt runway. There's no center line anywhere. But then I stopped and thought about it. There's a reason that Lyle came and talked to me. Because he cared about me. Put all of that Top Gun stuff off to the side. I'm a nobody. He's a nobody. And to be honest, we're brothers in Christ. And he cared enough about me to put his own pride down and come over and tell me, hey brother, be careful. Take correction with gratitude. Be thankful for correction. Number seven, 
Practice self-denial. There's some self-discipline items. Practice self-denial. So that means you have the money in your pocket. They have the donut on the shelf. You don't always have to buy it. You can practice self-denial. You see the donut. You have the money. You could buy it. You decide not to buy it. You know why? Because I'm going to keep my flesh under subjection. You don't have to buy that big screen TV. You don't have to take a personal day off because you didn't sleep good. Practice self-denial. Perhaps maybe just decide on Tuesday. I'm just picking a day out of the, out of the air. On Tuesday, I'm going to fast. Why? Because I'm going to take the things of God serious and I'm going to put my body into subjection and I'm just going to be serious with the Lord on Tuesday. Practice self-denial. Number eight, welcome responsibility. Welcome it. Volunteer for hard things. Have you ever walked into the supermarket and counted how many employees there were? Oh my goodness. Just do this. Walk into the supermarket, count how many employees there are, stand off on the side and watch them. How many of them are actually working? Guys, that's not normal, okay? I'm just going to help you. That's not normal. It's not normal to have 25 stock boys putting the same cans on the shelf. It's not normal to have to have 25 security guards standing around watching everybody who's watching everybody. It's not normal. So then just think about the outflow of having 25 non-productive employees and see how that flows out to affect their ability to retain a wage. No wonder their wage is so low because there's so many of them. Could you imagine if one of them decided, you know what, I think I can do the work of three people. I can do the work of five people. My work is easy. They would be welcoming responsibility upon themselves. Now on the first point, they would still be gathering the same pay, but it wouldn't take long before the boss went, hey, this one actually has some gusto. And then all of a sudden, that one would get a raise. And perhaps the other ones who aren't doing anything might get fired. Suddenly, things would change in the workplace if they accepted some responsibility. Watch as you go to work and then look. I notice, I realize that it's very easy for people to go to work and then just try to draw a salary. I'm going to punch in and I just clear the time. Well, don't be that guy. Don't say something like, I don't have or I don't get paid enough to care. We'll talk about being men pleasers shortly. I look at the Gordon's Market and the youth that were there. Great initiative that they took up last year. Nobody asked them to do that. They volunteered. And our city cheered them on. You remember that? Welcome responsibility. And oh, how terrible it was to watch as other places around the city did the same thing, mimicked the same thing, and demanded that they get paid for it. That's not welcoming responsibility. It's piggybacking on somebody else's hard work. Very thankful for those young men that stepped up and said, we're going to look after our society. Number nine, this will be our last one, then we'll grab it into the text. Number nine, hold yourself to your commitments. Hold yourself to your commitments. So if you told somebody that you're going to be there, be there. Now, maybe something came up and it was real and you weren't able to make it. Be honest and tell them, call them ahead of time. Hey, I told you I would be there, but I'm not able to be there. Or 
maybe you just said, I'll be there so you would get them, off of their ba- get them off of your back. Maybe you need to stop committing to things that you already know that you can't do. These are some self-discipline tips. Those are all free. Let's j- jump into verses 9 to 13, and we'll see the ones that come out of the text here. This is Romans 12, verses 9 to 13. When you live with the Scripture as your final authority, allowing God to tell you how you should live and what your principles should be, you won't act impulsively or out of self-desire. You will be different. So let's see them. Verse 9. The first one comes from verse 9. I'll just go ahead and give it to you. Number one, don't fake your love for others. Don't fake your love for others. Look at verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. In other words, don't fake your love for others. Don't let your love, it says at the beginning, don't let your love be, or let your love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation is a large word, has two roots in it. Dis, or we would say opposed to, simulation, mimicking. So you put those two together, without mimicking, Here's another way to say it. Your love should be without hypocrisy. Your love should be genuine. So don't, lay, don't fake your love for others. So some would say, well then, pastor, if that's the case, if I'm not supposed to fake my love for others, then maybe I'll just let them know I don't like them. We do this a lot, by the way. We do this a lot. We've got a problem with this brother. That brother comes to church. We shake his hand. We smile. Pat him on the back. And then he walks away and he's that kind of person. You know what that is? That's letting your love be filled with fakery. I don't know if that's a word. Dissimulation. You're bringing in this hypocrisy into your love. So what are Christ's words? If there's a problem between you and the brother, what are you supposed to do with it? Go to him alone. That's Jesus' words. If your brother is offended, you go to him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained a brother. Don't let that sit there and simmer. So don't fake your love. And see the words there in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. So here we have abhor, hate it. Push it away from you as far as you possibly can. And then on the other side of that, cleave to, hang on to, hold, cling to that which is good. So you've got, on the one side, push away the evil, and on the other side, cling to that which is good. So how do we see this together with, don't be faking your love, those go together. You know what is evil? Faking your love. That's evil. Could you imagine, just think for me, think with me for just a moment, what if God's love for you was fake? That would be absolutely evil. Therefore, your love for your brothers and sisters should be genuine. Let it be genuine. For otherwise, it's evil. Cling to that which is good. Verse 10. Number two, don't put yourself first. We saw a bit of this last week in relation to the church, and now we have it for everyone. Don't put yourself first. Verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. There's very little that I can add to this that we didn't say last week. Be looking for ways to show honor to others. Be looking for ways to prefer them out 
outdo them, outdo them in kindness. You see them do a kind deed, you outdo them, try to do better. Then they see that deed and they try to do better. Could you imagine a church body that was marked by people who were constantly preferring one another and trying to outdo each other in kindness, showing brotherly love towards one another? Don't be looking at others like the world does in a mindset that says, what can you do for me? But instead, look at others the way that Christ does. How can I serve you? Number three, verse 11. Don't be lazy in life. Verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. There's three items there. I think those three items fall under two ideas. Not slothful in business goes together with fervent in spirit. Offsetting them and both of them describing it is serving the Lord. So let's look at those statements. Not slothful in business. Another way to say not slothful in business is work hard. Men, if you go to bed and you're not tired, you've not done what God designed for you. You go to bed, men, you go to bed and you're not tired. I'm thankful for the gift. When I go to bed, Becky knows the story. I go to bed, I lay down, I'm snoring before she even has a chance to roll over. You know why? You work hard. You work hard during the day, you sleep hard at night. It's a gift from the Lord. It's how your body was designed. Work. He says in verse number 11, not slothful. Don't be lazy. God's statement to Adam in the garden This was not God's statement to Eve. God's statement to Adam, it was a part of the curse. You will toil, you will work, and you will sweat, and there will be fruit for your labor. Ladies, he gave a different curse, and all of you feel that on a regular basis. Men, we come home, just a side note, men, when we come home, I know that you've worked, I hope you've worked, I hope you haven't just gone to work and just clocked in and sat down to read the newspaper. I hope that you've actually done your work. I hope that you've gone to work and you've worked your heart out, but when you come home, you clock into a different job. That's serving your family. So don't come home and expect my wife, I'm going to put my feet up and watch TV while my wife cooks dinner for me. And then she cleans the dishes after dinner for me. No, you come home and you finished from one job, you went to another job. Serve your family. Love your children. Raise your children. Shirk away from that. So here we are. We're not slothful, he says in verse 11, not slothful in business. We live in perhaps the richest generation in history. You realize that. Oh, we live in perhaps the richest generation in history. So, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Every single one of us has access to and perhaps eats on a regular basis bread. And yet, not a single one of us in this room is a wheat farmer. You realize all you have to do is walk into the Kaibar, throw down a washer, and you get to walk out with a scone. This is an amazing generation that we live in. There were days in the past when if you didn't go to the field and toil, you didn't eat. And now we live in the richest generation ever such that even if you don't work, somebody will give you food. So work. Not slothful in business. Find a way. Put your hand to the work. 
Work hard. You might remember Genesis 1.28, God's words to Adam and Eve at the beginning. God blessed them. God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish. You realize the words have dominion. Subdue the earth. So here's what you're doing when you get up in the morning and you go to work. Maybe your work is in a government office for the city. You go in, you clock in, don't grab a newspaper and waste your time until tea time. And then waste your time until lunch. No, you are having dominion, taking control, so you're part of a bigger thing that's going on. You're not just a bureaucracy gathering a check to go home. No, you are having dominion over the earth. So you go in and you clock in, not slothful in business. You're going to give your best. You're going to go in. Why? Because I want to see this city go forward and be different. You say, well, all I am is a gardener. All I am is a gardener. I just cut the grass and I trim the flowers. Hey, you are subduing the earth. Those are Bible words. Now, you're just a gardener. Don't think I'm just a gardener. You know what you're doing on a regular basis. You're showing man is having dominion over this plot of land. And in this plot of land, a jungle doesn't live here anymore. It's not a grassland. It's a beautiful display to the glory of God, and I'm having dominion over this. Oh, not slothful in business. But then notice, offsetting not, not slothful is this other phrase, fervent in spirit. That word fervent, I think maybe you have an idea of what it should be like. The English word fervent comes from a Latin word that literally means to boil. You've seen you put water in a pot and and it boils. Very interesting, the Greek word here is also the same word for boiling. Now, it would be a little weird if we were to say boiling in spirit. That's just an odd way to think of things. You kind of would get grossed out by that. So it's not slothful in business, but fervent. And the idea is, I'm boiling, my spirit is bubbling up, and I'm filled, and I'm on fire, as it were. I'm really excited about what I'm doing. I'm fervent in spirit. I'm not just working, I'm working with a purpose. So what's going on here. So these two go to offset each other. Friend, if you go to work and you don't love it, Find a different job. Love your work. I'm coming in and I'm working and I'm having dominion and God's got me in this spot and I'm going to love it and I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to bubble up within my soul. I'm not slothful. I'm not going to be lazy. But then there's a third statement here, serving the Lord. So remember Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 statement, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Go after it fully. This is fervent in spirit. I'm not slothful in business. I'm going to be working. I'm going to be advancing things for the Lord and having dominion. And now we see that you're doing this serving the Lord. So it's not about you. It's not about your boss. It's not about the company. There's somebody else that, Christian, you are serving. I hope that when you go to work that your craftsmanship is a reflection of your Creator. Serving the Lord, Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7. Not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Yes, you go to work, but that work is not for men-pleasers. Because men-pleasers and eye service has times when the boss sees and when the boss doesn't see. 
But if I'm serving the Lord, there's never a time when He doesn't see and when He does see. He always sees. If you're working in a eye service, there will be many times, and maybe you felt this, there's been many times in work where you think, man, I wish the boss saw that because it was awesome. But he wasn't looking and he missed it. You realize if you're serving the Lord, he never misses it. He always sees when you're serving him. Not men pleasers. Then Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, you might know this verse from heart. He answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength, with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. How do you love the Lord with your strength? By doing your work. I'm going to use this strength and I'm going to serve him with this strength. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to work as unto him. Jonathan Edwards wrote 70 resolutions. He was a great preacher, great awakening in the 1700s. One of his resolutions was this. This is what he said. To live with all my might while I live. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. I'm going to do this and let God have my whole life and all the rest of my life while I'm living. I'm going to do it to the fullest. 1 Corinthians 15, verses, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So don't be lazy in life. Number four. I find number four in verse 12. Number four. Don't quit halfway through. Don't quit halfway through. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Whenever God is doing a work, Satan will do his best to put a stop to it. So you're living out this Romans 12 life. You've given your body as a sacrifice to the Lord. You've transformed your mind. Your life is different. The gospel's impacting you. You're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not lazy at work. Things are going well. And then along comes Satan and does his best to try to undermine you. Tribulations and trials come. We all know it. So how do you handle it? Don't quit. Don't quit halfway. Verses 12's words, rejoice in hope. Don't step back and say, God abandoned me. That's terrible theology. Instead, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Continue in prayer. Do you remember Romans 5's words? This was Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. We glory in tribulations. Here he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulations. Romans 5.3, we glory in tribulations. Why? Because we know that tribulation works patience and patience experience, experience hope. And hope makes us not ashamed because we know that God has shed His love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that He's given to us. So rejoice in hope. And by the way, what does that mean? Rejoice in hope. What does that mean? Hope is, things aren't going so well right now, but I know that one day they will. Where is that hope going to be found? Oh, in the return of our Savior. Let your hope be found in the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, we know He will come. The sound of a trump in the last, the last trumpet. And He will return and we will join Him in the air. Oh, we will be forever with Him. We can rejoice in hope even though there are trials. Be patient in prayer. Don't give up. Don't quit halfway there. Number five, verse 13. Don't forget why you've been blessed. Verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. 
don't forget why you've been blessed. And in case you're having a hard time remembering why you've been blessed, here, I'll give it to you. Why have you been blessed? You've been blessed to be a blessing. I don't know if you've heard that before. You've been blessed to be a blessing. God did not give you goods for you to consume them upon your own lusts. You've been blessed to be a blessing. So don't forget why you've been blessed. So how does that happen? Verse 15, or verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints. That's one, given to hospitality. That's the other. So practically, how do you distribute to the necessity of the saints? You ready? I'm just going to give you very practical. God has blessed you. You know who you are. If God has blessed you, it's worth Look around. Notice who he says, distribute to the necessity of the saints. So look around. See who it is that's among us who is in need. You don't have to wait for them to say, I'm in need. Just notice it. Speak with your family this afternoon at lunch and say, I notice this family and I think that they're in need. How about if we as a family go together and buy a bag of groceries. If we know where they live, we'll show up at their house. And we'll just give them the groceries and tell them that we love them and so thankful to be a part of them, with them in the body of Christ. Or if you don't know where they live, maybe next Sunday when you come for church service or on Wednesday night at Faith Family, you see them off in the parking lot and just, hey brother, come over here for just a second. I've got something I want to give you. Becky and I were recipients of that. 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, we struggled to make ends meet. That was our time when we were in Bible school. I worked three jobs, full-time university schedule, and final year of, of commercial pilots training. I averaged three hours of sleep every night, working hard just to make ends meet. And we needed food for the baby. Ariel was a baby at that time. We needed food for the baby. And I remember looking under everything, trying to find coins so we could buy food for the baby. We were there. And I can tell you, the brothers and sisters in Christ are the way that we made it through. There were times when we would come to church and we didn't have money for dinner. We don't have any food for dinner. And we would come to church and we know we're going to go hungry tonight. And on the way out of church, somebody would walk up to us, shake our hand, so good to see you. And I didn't even realize when they're coming to shake my hand, they have a $20 bill in their hand. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Don't forget why God's blessed you. My life is very different now. But when we went through that, as brothers and sisters in Christ cared for us physically, Oh, we fell in love with the body of Christ. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, he says. And then the latter part, given to hospitality. Oh, open the doors of your home. Invite others into your house. Don't think, well, my house, you know, good house. I'll say, no, me, but I don't have to invite them all. Hey, their house too in one kind, yeah. You don't have to have a nice house to invite somebody. Opening your home so that others can be a part of it and partake of the blessings that God has shared into your life. So we've been blessed to be a blessing. Don't forget why you've been blessed. So let me close with this thought. None of us have arrived. I look at these five, those nine, 
the ones from last week, the week before, none of us have arrived. This is something that we're going to work on for the rest of our lives. That's why it's called being transformed. It's my sanctification. I will be glorified when I go to be with Jesus and everything will be right then. But until then, I have to keep coming back and looking at places like Romans 12, 13, and 14 and have a look at the mirror. And Am, am I being like Christ or not? Oh, boy. I forgot about this one. Fervent in spirit. I don't mind working. It's called a workaholic, by the way. I don't mind working, but sometimes it's not fervent in spirit and it's definitely not serving the Lord. We need to come back and have a look because never, none of us have arrived. But the truth of the matter is, as we are being transformed and as we are acting differently, those who are on the outside are going to notice. And they're going to say things like, those people are different. Guys, as I look at Romans chapter 12, I see a whole list of things. Your life should be different. Therefore, present your bodies to Him as a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be reminded of the impact of the gospel in your life and treat your brothers and sisters in the church body as vitally important members and treat everybody else as though they were more important than you. Let's have a little prayer. Father, I thank you for the goodness of God upon our lives. Thank you that the gospel changes everything. Who I am in Christ is because of the gospel. My salvation is because of the gospel. I'm right with you because of the gospel. And now, Lord, I pray that I would take those things and let them flow out in my life, practically speaking. Today, Lord, very practical. I pray that you would help us. Maybe we can't grab all 14 items, but perhaps, God, if one of them we find ourselves lacking, like a mirror, to comb our hair, to fix those little things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand up as a good example to the world of what happens when the gospel transforms our lives. I pray that you would help us to believe right, and then because of that, that we would act right. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen.